The Candid Frame is supported by donations by listeners just like you. Help us to bring you great conversations with great photographers. Support the show today with your monthly contribution through our Patreon effort at patreon.com forward slash The Candid Frame, or click on the link in the show notes or the website at thecandidframe.com. Thank you. This is Ibargan X, and this is The Candid Frame. Technology has always been a part of photography. Advances like moving from glass plates to film, from large format to 35mm, has created new possibilities for the photographer. But while digital continues to advance what's possible in photography, there's been a surprising resurgence in analog. For some people, shooting with film is a completely new experience. And for others, it's revisiting an old friend. But what's exciting about the process today is that photographers have the ability to blend both analog and digital to produce some exciting and interesting results. Chris Marquardt of the podcast Tips from the Top Floor has been a big proponent of analog photography, and now he's sharing his knowledge and his experience in his new book, The Film Photography Handbook, which he co-wrote with photographer Monica Andre. We sat down to talk about the role of film in the digital age and how he personally has made the use of film a big part of his work as a photographer. Well, Chris Marquardt, welcome again to The Candid Frame. It's always, always a pleasure to, to have you. We have a long history together. Yes, we do. And, uh, it's, and you know, it's always a, a great to, to have a chance to sh- chat. And this time we were going to be talking about your, your new book, The Film Photography Handbook. <laughs> Sounds ominous. It's, you know, and it, and it's, it's so odd for me. And it just, I guess, makes me feel old. The whole concept that there are people out there who've never shot film or didn't get started shooting with film. And I know that you came to film after digital. No, 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 no. I came to film first. I started in film. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then I I quit that the, the moment it became feasible for me and affordable for me to get a digital SLR. At that point, I pretty much sold every bit of film photography equipment of analog equipment that I had. Which was mainly my my Minolta X seven hundred and a bunch of lenses and things. A couple of years after that, I started regretting that decision. <laughs> Why? Because because something was missing. It's, it's, re- it's really this. I I didn't really know what was missing to until maybe ten years after I fully jumped into digital. But at that point, it was kind of this niggly feeling that I had given up on something that might still have some use in my career and my development it turned out that that was the case and then those 10 years later when i finally wanted to go back into film photography at least partially actually a neighbor knocked on my door and (laughs) he had this big box and he said i have this old camera here and i don't really do anything with it do you have any use for it and it was an x700 so kind of magically came back to me um, including a few lenses so i'm pretty much have that back now it's very interesting. When you say you're missing something, what, what was that? Was it was it the process? Was it you know the look of the final result? When you say you were missing something, well, everything, 
it's hard it's hard to really kind of to really wrap that around one single point there are really a lot of different areas where i think film photography has a value which is the reason why we have written this book by the way we is me and my my better half monica she um, really have to make sure to mention yeah, her absolutely. <laughs> she she actually wrote she she's a better writer than i am so she wrote half of the book so it's a re it's, re it's a real collaboration there well they're, they're, okay let me let me do, try to unravel that this big ball of of i like film photography um first of all i think it really helps to to learn it's a real good learning tool mm. and for me that's that's one of the things you know when when you pick up a digital camera very easily kind of moves the the, the photo taking process kind of uh, moves into this uh trial and error kind of thing it happens for a lot of people it's it's the same for me in some respects i mean just imagine doing some night photography or uh, some, something that is really technically very difficult. You might resort to, to, to trial and error and just have a check, check the histogram, look what's going on. The moment you don't have that, the moment you don't have that instant, uh, review, you're going to, you're going to have to learn. <laughs> you have to force yourself to do it. So it will make you a better photographer. And I, I can clearly see this, um, at what I call my keeper ratio. You know, the, the number of pictures that I keep after shooting. Um, or that I think are really cool, um, or at least good enough for me to show them in public. Um, that doesn't really change between digital and film. Yeah. But what change the, the number of pictures that come out don't really change, but the number of pictures that go into the process initially, that changes drastically. When I think about the lore of film photography, for me, it's, it's, the time in the dark room where I'm free of any distraction. For me, being in the dark room was very, very peaceful place because I was alone. It's a, it's a bit of a meditation, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and the fact that, you know, I might have some music going on in the background, but I could be in there for hours trying to work on, on a print or even just processing a roll of film and going through the rhythmic pattern of just, you know, rolling and, and turning the, 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 developing tank you know mm. that for me is, is the, the one thing that i miss about it but i was never that an exacting a technician which you have to be for <laughs> at least to be able to be pretty damn good in, in the dark well here's here's the secret um i haven't worked in the dark room for i'd say about 20 years I have not and i still haven't really started it back up i have we, we have a room in the house that is going to be the dark room it has all the all the things you need. Just needs the 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 blackout curtains, and then it's ready. Uh, we have three, uh, actually four enlargers standing here that just need to be put on a table. But what I'm doing, what I'm doing right now is is the it's the it's the hybrid process. It's pretty much bringing the best of the both of both worlds into the field of of, of photography. The film photography, the acquisition is different. Like taking the picture is a different kind of process because you really have to, well, you have to pre-visualize. You have to kind of get the shot. You don't, well, sometimes you have to cover it and take more, but you have to get the shot. I mean, there's, there's no way around that. I've at this point replaced the dark room with the digital side of things. So there's a digitization step in there. 
kind of <laughs> kind of switching from one area into the other. And then there is the digital side as well, which I mean, we live in 2016. And the last time most of us have really dealt with film photography was in the last century. Mm -hmm. It's really a long time ago. Um, and back then we didn't have the internet, we didn't have the smartphones, we didn't have the, the sophisticated ways to process images. And getting a decent light meter is now as easy as buying an app, right? Um, finding the recipe to develop such and such film at a specific ISO with a specific developer is now just a look in a database. There's, there's a lot of tools out there that help us kind of get this, uh, moving with the times. I mean, this is, this really needed an update. You know, it's, it's, it, the times have changed. Um, so it's much more convenient now, including simple things like, um, I don't know, an app that helps you time the development process and that tells you, oh, by the way, now it's time to put the fixer in. So really kind of bringing that into, into today's world. And the combination is really where I feel really at home at this point, because I have that, I have that side that forces me to grasp things, to really touch, uh, to, to touch the camera, to touch the film, to, to make this into a very, haptic kind of experience yeah. and on the other side i'm trying to use as many conveniences as i can that that the modern times bring me who, who, who did you write this this for who's the photographer who would be interested in picking up this book in in either returning the film or or trying film for the first time it's it's pretty much the same audience that that i see on our film photography workshops which is First of all, someone who wants to go back to digital, uh, to analog photography, film, film photographers who have switched, such as me, have switched to digital and then kind of notice that, wait a minute, something might be missing there and who kind of want to get back in touch with this. Um, but there's an interestingly high number of young people who, or digital natives who don't, who never shot a roll of film, who never did that. And who are curious what this is about. And I'm not talking about the hipster crowd. I'm talking about <laughs> people who are really interested in that. I mean, shooting film for the sake of, of nostalgia. I don't think that really covers it for me. I love old cameras. Don't get me wrong. I, we have a Monica and I together. I think we have like 60 film cameras in the house. So. Which also, which also is fueled a bit by the fact that you can get them so cheap now. Yeah. You know, it's, Go on eBay. You you get a you get a film SLR for ten bucks. You get you can get to the point where you where you shoot film and develop it yourself for under one hundred bucks. It is it isn't expensive to do. I get I get this a lot. People say, yeah, but but, but why would I want to do this? Every shot costs money. And when you do the math and you factor in the cost for a new DSLR or a new mirrorless camera. You quickly get to the point that you can shoot a lot of rolls of film until you get. You think to about the computer, and you think about the hard drive space and the additional RAM. Well, we're doing the hybrid process here, so I no, have to I'm factor just, in the computer. I'm, but I'm just saying that, and people, when they start thinking about comparison costs, if you look at not just the camera, but the investment you have to make in a computer and hard, you know, all these elements yeah. in order to be able to do yeah. digital processing of your photography, you know, you're talking thousands of thousands of dollars. Or either way, it's not going to be cheap it's not gonna be inexpensive it's an expensive hobby always has been always will be at least for the people who you know really want to get serious about it well it's, it's a question because i also think times have changed in that respect what i remember from back in the 80s when i was still shooting film 
and in the 90s. It was this, okay, I need to be really precise. I need to make sure it comes out the same every time. I have really reproducible results all the time. That's where I go digital. That's where I shoot digital because I know how I, I can be surgically precise with digital. If I shoot analog, it's more of a creative endeavor. It's more of a, okay, let me try this out. Monica, for example, loves shooting expert film. She has some roles of Provia that are 10 years old. And what happens with, with f film, with color film, when it ages is it changes its colors. Some of the colors fade, some of them are stronger. And then you get some sort of a random element in there. And we all know how often a random element can kind of mix things up and make you more creative and, and give you new impulses. Or, or the field of toy cameras, for example. If you look at a Holger, some photos just need some camera like that. There's, I've seen this blog entry. Someone did actually a, a shoot of an old derelict building with five different cameras. One being a four by five large format camera, one being a digital medium format camera and a DSLR of full frame and a smaller one and a Holger. And the Holger picture was the one that blew all the other ones out of the water because it had the right feeling. It had the right mood and it was very different. Now, Holger is a plastic lens camera. It's, uh, it's, there's nothing special from a technical point of view. It is probably one of the least technical cameras right now. All you can do, well, at least with, with some Holger models, you can't even change the aperture. So all you can do is press the shutter and that's it. So taking that tech side out of things, limiting yourself is a very creative, uh, is a booster for your creative creativity. Limit, I mean, we, photographers know that limitation in general is is a booster for creativity. If you don't have all the tools at your disposal that you usually have, you have to become creative. You have to think around uh, outside the box. Is is that your answer to people who say, oh, I can get those effects using filters on my phone or uh, totally. on Photoshop? And, you know, people, see, when they ask you, well, why go to film when I can do all, all these things in digital on the computer? And then if I screw it up, I can always start all over again. Is is that the the your answer, this idea that, that by simplifying, you are sort of challenging yourself in a way that you can't possibly do when you have all these tools and, 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 you know, resources available to you in the world of digital. Yeah. And don't, don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with, uh, with a plugin like Silver Effects that has beautiful results. The, the results might be to a certain extent indistinguishable from what you get, but taking that, that variety out of the, out of the process, making the process a more limited one is going to get you to, uh, in, into new ideas is going to help you add more creative tools to your toolbox. Cause you have to, cause you don't have a choice. I mean, look, look at that. Everyone has that a, a band that you were really into and the first album was amazing. And they did is they did this on a shoestring budget. And then the second album, when they were discovered and signed with a major label, they got all the money they needed and more. And the second album was okay. And the third one was kind of meh, you know, the, the, the moment you add all those possibilities and the moment you don't have to make a decision, you, you kind of move that to a later step in the process. Sooner or later, you will have to make the decisions. And sometimes it's really better to make the decision first and work within that. At limitation. We did this on a recent workshop. I I actually went on eBay and bought 25, no, actually 24 box cameras, old box cameras, 120 film, okay. roll film cameras. And then what we did, and this was a long workshop, a five-day workshop. What we did on the first day is we handed out those cameras and gave each 
of the participants a roll of 120 film. And in a box camera, a six by nine box camera, that's eight pictures. Uh -huh. And no technology to play with. You can't do anything with these cameras other than point them somewhere, frame a picture, and then take the picture. And for everyone in that group, it was a, it, everyone laughed at first. It's like, okay, um, so, okay. And we explained what it's, what it's about, how the camera works. And then I gave them two hours to take those eight pictures. And you should have seen the faces like, wow, you crazy eight pictures. I do these in 10 seconds. Oh, yeah. After the first of those two hours, I walked around just to check in with everyone and see how they were doing. And several of them were like, I only have three so far. <laughs> It's really a good experience. And uh, most of them learned something. Most of them got something out of that. It was a very new experience for them and a very interesting thing to do. And I look, I look at the amount of pictures I shoot in digital right now. And it's drastically less than I did before I came back to film photography. Yeah, there are just way too many bad pictures on my hard drive. You know, pictures that I, I, the way I, I describe it is that most of the pictures that I take are, are, are just a matter of practice. You know, it's me sort of practicing my way of seeing. And that in that it's, it's not just only the search for that singular image, but it's oftentimes just getting into the practice of seeing reacting and shooting definitely so but but re restricting yourself like in the way that you just described is is i think just as important i'd like going out there and just not shooting 300 photographs you know giving my <laughs> i mean you know i've 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 uh, written a book before that which is a small ebook which is about how to plow through 1000 pictures in one hour in lightroom Okay. So I've, I've pretty much, um, looked at this from the, from the end of the process. You have ah. 5,000 pictures. Now what do you do with them? And how do you stop more pictures piling up? Which makes it an even more daunting task to start uh, doing them because you, yeah, it's, it's an avalanche kind of coming down on you. So after that, I started realizing that, well, as, as nice as this might be to be able to process a lot of pictures in a very short time. How about the concept of not taking as many pictures <laughs> and just not, not making this pile so big? So I see the film photography handbook kind of as, as a, as one tool in that part of the process as one. It's just a puzzle piece in a bigger thing, but it, I think at least what film photography has done for me is it has made me a better photographer. It has changed the way I look. It has changed the way I approach photography. It has changed the way I, <laughs> I don't delay decisions anymore. That's one more step there. One more thing. Um, when we shoot digital nowadays, there are so many decisions that we can delay. I mean, the, the framing, just shoot more, you know, and just use your five gajillion megapixels to crop later. So the framing, you can decide at least partially, you can decide the framing. The color, of course, you can, when you shoot raw, you can change the colors anytime. The lighting, look at what you can do in Lightroom, the burning and dodging there, you can do a lot. The contrasts, massive, massive changes in contrast possible with today's sensors, Even, even the timing, just shoot a burst. You see this with, um, like wildlife photographers a lot. An animal starts moving, they shoot 50 frames. 
and choose the one good one later. And the, the problem is, is the point at, at the moment when you can delay all these decisions, most people will because it's very convenient to do so. And then you're just piling that up on the other end. So what film also kind of teaches you is that making a decision and sticking to it might be a good thing. Yeah. And with, with film, you have to. You, the moment you put a roll of black and white film in your camera, your world is black and white. You, the, the type of film determines the contrast, at least to a certain extent. The type of film determines how good you have to be with your metering. The type of film determines the, to, uh, the amount of grain and so on. So you have a lot of decisions that you are now moving to that, to the start of this process and not to the end. And, that will not only kind of show you over and over again that it's that it might be a good thing, that will also free you up in the end of the process. It will really, a lot of the stuff is already in the box and it's already done the way it is. And by not being able to change it, you will have to think about it first. And that then loops back into this becoming a better photographer because you have to think about it. So you are forcing yourself to think about these things. I hope that you've enjoyed this conversation and the many that we've been sharing with you over the past several months. Some of these recent conversations have been some of my favorites, and I have more great conversations for you before the summer is over. Right now, I'm dedicating virtually all my time to improving the show and sitting with some great photographers. I've been able to do that because of your support and help over the years, but especially now as I work towards making TCF an even greater resource for you. So thanks to the many people who've reached out to encourage and support the work that we're doing. And if you haven't already, today is a great time to contribute. Through Patreon, you can support the show with regular monthly donations of $2, $5, $10, $25 or more, or anything in between. Your donations of any amount are the means by which we will improve the show and bring you more great conversations with the world's best photographers. Contribute today by visiting patreon.com forward slash the candid frame or click on the link in the show notes or the website at thecandidframe.com. Thanks. So, what is someone who currently only owns a digital camera? What what do they need just to start off with? Let's say they really don't want to go full bore and build a dark room and do all that, but they do want to start playing around with it. What What are the basic things that they need to have in order to be able to do that? Get a box camera, get a brownie, something along those lines. It'll cost you. Well, if you pay if you pay more than five bucks for that camera, it's probably too expensive. You will find people who want more for that on eBay. But um, all those twenty four box cameras that I bought. All of them were one euro, the camera, and five euros for the shipping. <laughs> <laughs> so it was it was really um, it's it's very cost effective. And then get a roll of film. Um, if your local drugstore or grocery store doesn't carry film anymore, which is very likely at this point, then go to B and H Photo or um, th there are lots of online dealers who have film and who, who specialize in that so you can still get everything get a couple of rolls of film put them in the camera and when you're done 
get him to your local drugstore, Walgreens or uh, others will still process film for you. They will still take the film, send it off to the lab and return the pictures to you just the way it used to be. So that is probably the quickest way to get started. Or if you want to have a bit more control, if you want to play with more technology in this in this context, uh, get an SLR, a used SLR, an old Canon or an old Nikon or probably not more than 10 to 20 bucks for that on the usual on the usual portals and then that's all you need a roll of film a camera and a drugstore that's all you need and then they'll scan the uh the images to like a yeah you will you will typically with most of these services you will get the scan done for you um it's usually a checkbox somewhere um and then they will give you a link to download your digitized pictures and you will get the film developed back and if you want you get paper prints which is another thing. I mean, the printing of pictures is kind of a lost art these days. Yeah. And having pictures around, having pictures up on my walls, uh, especially my own pictures up on my walls, is is one of the best things to learn more about myself and my own photography because I, I surround myself with pictures and that really changes the my relation with the pictures. So that's another another component in that when you send in a roll of film for development yeah sure get the prints doesn't even don't, don't have they don't even have to be big just get a bunch of prints um, put them up on the fridge and have them around and then you'll sooner or later learn something about your pictures because you see them so much we we don't see pictures long enough these days they're just on the screen for a second or two and then they're gone and I think you missed the the real advantage of going back to film is the idea of the print. Whether it's a digital print or a silver base print, there's something about holding a physical manifestation of the photograph that's always intoxicating to me. Anytime I go to a gallery or I have an opportunity to hold a print, especially a silver base print, that's when that little gremlin in my head goes, you should go back to film, go back to film. Just because it's just like, oh my God, it's just... It's a very cathartic experience to me to hold a photograph. I've, I've just um, recently seen uh, something on YouTube where Adam Savage of the Mythbusters, they did a live tour and he has his portrait taken on stage. It's a tintype portrait. So it's okay. an old yeah. process from eight, from the 1850s. And not just does the photographer take his picture. On a, on a big tintype, I mean, we're really talking a good size here, I think probably bigger than 8x10. And it, not only does the photographer take that picture on stage, you know, he also develops it on stage. They they pretty much put put the whole theater in, in red light uh -huh. so he can work under red light. All the, all the audience is part of that dark room. And then you see him do the chemistry and and you see that picture kind of come to life come to come out of nowhere and that is a magical moment that's a really magical moment i i suggest everyone watch that that 5 minute video it's really interesting to to watch and it really brings home a point of about the the the, the haptic nature of this yeah which you never have with digital when, when you were writing the book, I mean, when I when I came up, there were so many books that about photography that walked you through the whole process of, you know, processing your film, chemistry, so on and so forth. But as we've been talking about, a lot of things have changed. A lot of films are not available. Certain chemistry is not available. So in updating this book, what were some of the important things that you felt you needed to put in it to make sure that it was up to date and reflects 
analog photography now in 2016? Well, first of all, these days we get a, we get a hold of cameras in a different way. You buy them used. You film cameras are uh, there are a lot out there. So one of the things we um, we made sure to have in there is uh, kind of a a helper chapter on how to find these cameras and what to look out for when you get them. Because you might get a 30-year-old camera that might have broken light seals or where the shutter doesn't work anymore. Uh, so these are all things to kind of watch out for. Um, we definitely have the step-by-step -step instructions on how to develop film in there and how to scan it, which I don't think any of the, any of the, uh, last century photo books do have. So it is, it is updated for, for 2016. It includes all these details. It also includes a good chapter on, on what are these different cameras? What are we looking at here? What, what, what's the difference between an SLR and a Mamiya 645 and a Rolleiflex Flex and a Pentax 67 and so on? Uh, so we pretty much go from the, from the small, uh, formats, the 35 millimeter, which in, in the analog world is small. Mm -hmm. the, the German phrase for that is Kleinbild, which translates to small picture. 35 is small. And then we go up, uh, up to four by five four by five inches large format photography. And we, we kind of give this, this overview and make sure that people have an understanding how to, how to, how to frame that in today's photography world. Because the, the development on the digital side has started from a different end. The initial sensors were really small and then they started growing and growing. And now the 35 millimeter format is called full frame, which suggests that it's kind of really big. But when you look at film, it's not that big, actually. Actually, So it, it includes the things that you might need to not just get started and do it, but to also understand there's a bit of history in there. And it, it kind of helps you put things in their place in your mind and sort things a bit. Let's, let's talk about films. Is there, a, for people starting out, what, what films do you think are, are a good place to, to begin with? Because when I was coming up, God, I hate saying that because it makes you feel so dated, but um, there were so many choices. Tell me about some of the films that you think would be a good good place to start for people who are you know, just getting their feet wet. Well, there, there are um, still a lot of films available. I mean, Kodak still makes film, Fuji still makes film. Um, there are still a lot of European brands, Ilford uh, still in the market, um, Adox is still there. The usual suspects are mostly still there. So if you want to start in black and white, um, a Fuji Neopan Acros is a great choice to start with. Of course, Kodak Tri-X, many photographers' favorite film because of the way it, its grain looks and it works with the, with the contrast and with the gray distribution. It's just a, yeah, kind of a favorite of mine too. Uh, if you're into finer grain things, uh, Kodak T-Max is still around. So in the, on the black and white side, we still have a whole bunch of films and we have a list in the book. So, um, I'm actually just bringing that up here as a reference. Slide films, still a few around, even though, even though that, not that many anymore, but, uh, Fuji Chrome, uh, you still get Provia and Velvia. <clears throat> Aqua Scala is still there. The color negative films, still, um, the portraits are still around. For example, Kodak Portra is a favorite of many color negative photographers. Fuji Color, uh, the superiors are still around. There's some Aqua Photo Vista out there. And then there are a whole bunch of special films, a whole bunch of films that are 
yeah, that, that are a bit different. Um, for example, <laughs> you, you get special film now for cross-processing. Uh, you've probably done that mm -hmm. uh, when you use a negative film and processes in, process it in the chemistry for slide film or vice versa, which you can and which uh, will yield interesting results in terms of the contrast and the, and the colors. Now, there are actually films on the market that are made for that, that are uh, kind of formulated so that they work really well in that context. There is even... Special red scale film out there, which is film. Well, if, if you look at it from a technical side, it is color negative film that has been reversed. So the light hits the film from the, from the rear, not from the front. And that changes the way it pro processes the colors. Uh, so film is still there. There's a bunch of film out there. And, um, there are actually a few projects on the, on the way right now for, um, for uh, where, where companies try to re revive old film factories for example italy ferrania big company uh, they've done a big kickstarter project to yeah to shrink and to to repurpose the test development lab into a new uh, film manufacturing facility and they're on the way of doing that um there are um there are others that Try similar stuff. There are new players on the market. Galaxy, for example, who have, who have, um, also thanks to crowdfunding, been able to bring positive paper back. Well, there is positive paper, which is pretty much film paper that you put in a camera and then expose it and you have a positive picture on the paper. And the, the best known of those so far was from Ilford. The problem was that the Ilford one is very slow. It doesn't have a, very high eye. So I don't know where it is, but it's probably below five. Uh -huh. Whereas the Galaxy guys have actually managed to get to get an ISO 80 positive paper. So you can actually take snapshots, short exposure pictures on positive paper. And they have now brought a product that is um, equally interesting. They have changed the form factor of that into the shape of a 120 roll of film. So they now have a 20 a 120, they sell a 120 roll of positive paper. Just imagine that. Oh. That's the kind of creativity that I don't think would be possible in digital at this point. But in film, film has turned into this playground almost where people start trying out new things and experimenting again. And that's, that, that's a very good example for that. What genre or what subject matter do you favor for, you know, using analog, for using film photography? Do you Sort of gravitate to a particular area. The the moment I started exploring film again was when I realized that I could actually afford a medium format camera. Mm. <laughs> this was really the oh wait a minute six by six six by seven. Um, a lot of pro photographers are selling their gear for cheap. I bought a Mamiya six forty five with two lenses for under two hundred bucks, and that was kind of when I fell back into film photography and exploring the bigger formats has really, um, has really made an impact on me because I mean, you know, bigger sensors change the way we work with depth of field. They change the way the, the grade, the tones distribute in the picture and you end up, uh, discovering a new, a new facet of photography. And that has taken me up to four by five. So large format photography, um, has become a real, a real fun thing for me to do. And all the, with all the 
possibilities that it brings. I mean, being able to change the way lines fall in the picture, being able to change where the sharpness is in the picture, all the rise and falls and tilt and shift and swing and whatever you can do with these cameras. A friend of mine called it pure anarchy. <laughs> That's kind of what it is. <laughs> but it also forces you to really get a thorough process down because in large format photography, you end up being very, well, it's easy to make mistakes because all the steps that a modern camera would do for you, you have to do yourself. And that includes a lot of steps for a single picture. So, so it brings me back to the process, but the kind of photography that works really well there is landscapes and architecture. Those two are, are very, um, they, they, they benefit from this type of a camera and from this approach. And this is my meditation. You know, when I set up for, uh, a, a, for a day of large format photography, I go up with my camera. And I might have, I don't know, 10 frames in the pocket. I might have 10, 10 unexposed sheets of film in my bag. And after that day, I return home and I might have six of them exposed. Um, because setting up for a picture just takes its time and setting up the, setting up the framing and then, uh, metering the light and waiting for the right moment. And it's a ballet almost that you have to do. And that really brings me down it really brings a lot of calm if you spend i don't know 20 minutes on one picture i feel that same way but it, it's portraiture the idea of sitting down there with a house of lot with an 80 millimeter lens with mm -hmm. 12 exposures and photographing someone that experiences so much different than you know than shooting them with a dslr and shooting 150 photographs completely different yes and uh that's when i'm tempted you know Tempted there. Okay, let me try this film thing again. <laughs> Maybe we'll lure you back. <laughs> <laughs> we talked a little bit about your workshop. So, but what do you, why don't you tell people a little about, you know, if they're interested in doing, doing one of those with you, what, what to expect? What's involved in that? Well, I have in the last, in the last years, I have moved more to photo tours. So I'm, I'm, I'm a curious person. I want to see the world and, being able to do that while doing the second thing that I love, uh, which is giving people these aha moments, these, oh, now I understand something better uh, moments. Um, that is kind of the magic, magic crossover for me. And so traveling while teaching is kind of really the thing that I think, yeah, I will be doing for a very long time. So, um, luckily I'm, I'm now able to do that and, uh, to offer tours to all sorts of places. We've been, um, I've been to the Himalayas a lot. I've been to, um, Ireland. I'm going back there in September, um, last year. Well, this year actually in, in early spring, I went to Siberia to Lake Baikal, which is the, the biggest freshwater lake in the world and the clearest one and the, the most frozen one as well. So it was a wonderful experience to be on and around that lake. You have no idea how interesting ice can be even after five days of shooting it. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to Greenland in, in August. Is this, that one is sold out, which was a surprise for me because it kind of fell into my lap and I, I thought, well, let me try this. And, uh, it really hit a spot with people and, uh, we're now going to uh, Greenland with uh, my friend John Miller as a co-host and 16 people in total. Bhutan is on the list. Um, Svalbard, the the Arctic 
archipelago is is uh, on the list for next year in May. So it's really kind of this this seeing the world while learning to shoot kind of thing. And even I have to learn new things or try to apply things that are already new to completely new situations. And that's what makes it interesting because you end up somewhere. Um, we were in Ethiopia at a live volcano. How do you shoot a live volcano? I've never done that before. <laughs> so it, it's really this, okay, let me, let me see what are the things I learned over the last 10 years that might be able to uh, save my butt here. And you're taking um, film and digital on each of these excursions? Uh, no, not on all of them, but, um, I, I have to, I have to bring film back. Monica is a bit more strict in that regard. She was with me in Ethiopia. Uh, she didn't bring a digital camera. She brought her Pentax 667 and she shot uh, somewhere between 50 and 60 rolls of film and she's still <laughs> working her way through it. And you know, the interesting thing is, I mean, I brought digital photos. I brought a few thousands of digital photos home, um, did my usual thing and worked through them. And she has taken her time and every roll of film has a few surprises on it. And I, I look over her shoulder and see her pictures after she digitized them. And I find so many good pictures there where I think, why didn't I see that? Why didn't, why didn't that? Uh, why didn't that show itself to me? So that's the travel side. And then here in Germany, I'm doing a lot of uh, shorter workshops, like weekend workshops around different topics. They're mostly themed around where there's one light workshop coming up, a people photography workshop coming up. Uh, actually, one interesting one where I'm teaming up with a psychologist is about perception, about how why do people see pictures the way they see them or how do pe people look at pictures what is important how does it work um so we've been exploring that to a pretty good depth so the psychology of photography and it helps you as a photographer who, or or as someone who's a visual person in general because you uh the moment you understand what happens when someone else looks at your picture you will be able to fine tune that to to work better to have a better impact or to tell your story better so that that was always interesting for me to look kind of behind the scenes and to understand why things are the way they are. That's fascinating. Well, my last question is I ask my guests to recommend another photographer for our listeners to discover and explore and can be anyone, someone you've long admired or someone you've recently discovered. So who would that one photographer be and why? Hmm. You stumped me. <laughs> <laughs> let me think. Let me think. I sh it should be a film photographer, I think, as a good, uh, as a as a good kind of, as a good kind of follow up to this one, a film photographer, Monica. Oh, okay. She is. She's really deep into film photography, probably deeper than I am. She'll hate me for that. <laughs> <laughs> she will hate me for that, but I think she has a lot to say about it. And her full name is Monica. Monica Andre. Okay. Last name Andre. Awesome. And she and she wrote the other half of the book. She's she's perfect. That's great. Well, Chris, thank you so much for making time for me this morning. I really appreciate it. It's always a always a pleasure to speak with you. Thanks for having me. Thanks to Chris Marquardt for his time and generosity. 
Rocky Nook, the publisher of the Film Photography Handbook, has made a copy available for me to give away to one lucky listener. To be eligible, all you need to do is share the episode on your social network, either Facebook or Twitter, and use the hashtag TCFFilm. That's TCFFilm with two Fs. In a couple of weeks, we'll pick a winner and send out a copy of the book. To find out more about Chris, his podcast, and his workshops, visit tipsfromthetopfloor.com. Please remember that you do make a big difference to our show. Take the time today to write a review in the iTunes store. It helps increase our ranking and creates greater awareness of the show. I want to send out a shout out to Jan Sievers from Germany, Lofer Webb from France, and Tani Sixtoes from Sweden for their five-star reviews of the show. Thank you so much. You can also support the show by making a regular monthly contribution through Patreon. Visit patreon.com forward slash the candid frame, or you'll find the link in the show notes and on the candid frame website. Thanks to all of you who've recently contributed to the show, including Mike Waller. To access our complete archive of interviews, download the free candid frame app available for Apple iOS, Android, and Windows 8. Links for each can be found in the show notes and the website at thecandidframe.com. The Candid Frame's audio engineer is Martin Taylor, who you can find at theothermartintaylor.com. The show's senior producer is Cynthia Parker, and our music is from Kevin McLeod, whose royalty-free music can be found at incompetech.com. And this is Ibarian X, and this is The Candid Frame.